All right, happy new year from all of us at Backlash Podcast. It's been uh, it's been a ride for 2020, and I think some of us are happy to see it over with. I know some of us had really good years on the fishing side of things. Things were really good that way. But um, today we got a guest. His name is Matt Brozik, and Matt's um, I don't know how to say it. Weekend warrior, I guess that would be the we'll use the, that term. Is that sort of derogatory, Brad? Is weekend warrior a slang term? Yeah, you know, it, it, I don't know. That could go both ways, right? I mean, that's a tough one. But he's definitely an avid angler, and he's one that uh, doesn't have his – he's got limited time, basically, Jeff. I mean, think about it. Not unlike many anglers out there, they have families, they have a business, or they have their job. They're basically running and gunning and trying to fit in musky fishing. Yeah, for sure. But if weekend warrior is a derogatory term, I mean, I fit into that term as well, because that's certainly what I am. I'm not a professional guide. I've never claimed to be a professional guide. I can barely catch muskies as it is. For some reason, somebody allowed me to be on this podcast, or maybe it's just because I came up with the idea of the podcast myself. So I, <laughs> for that matter, though, I don't want to mix anything up. I did not invent musky podcasting, just so you know. like I'm not trying to make that claim. But I had an idea on a podcast. I came to Brad with it. Brad said, heck, yeah, I'll be your co-host. And I'm like, are you sure? It's really going to ruin your reputation. And he's like, no, I'll take that risk. And turns out it did. So, <laughs> nah, it's, all, it's all been good, man. I, I love it. I enjoy this whole podcast platform. I like talking to these different guys that we get to talk to. It, it's just a blast, Jeff, ultimately. Yeah, well, you know, we've talked about a lot of ideas coming up in the next, you know, 10 episodes, we'll say, and we're going to try to throw out some stuff, you know, like this, a little bit off the beaten path, stuff that we didn't necessarily, that we haven't necessarily done before, because we're just trying to keep it fresh and new a little bit. I mean, we'll we'll keep having on some of the stuff that we've had on. We'll try to continue to hit the guides up. That's not what we're trying to get away from. We're just trying to go down some different avenues that we haven't done in either in a while or at all. In this one, we did some Weekend Warrior stuff back in, I don't even know what episodes those were, 50 maybe, who knows, could be even longer. And so we we did some of that, but we didn't necessarily have a true Weekend Warrior, quote unquote, since probably the Baddock episode from way back in like, I don't know what that was, episode seven, Brad? That was probably the last time we talked to what you would consider to be, you know, true Weekend Warrior type guys. Yeah, it's amazing to me. You know, you say Weekend Warrior, and I think that platform truly is just somebody that doesn't get the the time, if you will, because jobs or life interrupts that. But yeah, I think you're right on track. And I, I would assume that that was, that was early in this whole deal. So 7, 10, wherever it was, you know, and those guys, uh, I've got to know them a little bit better. And man, they, they're running hard all the time. Oh yeah, for sure. I don't know. They, I mean, aside from being guides, they've almost eclipsed the weekend warrior thing, but again, they still have regular full-time jobs throughout the course of a week. And so their only chance to get out is on the weekend. And when they get out on the weekend, they pound. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, you know, when you, you get into the diehard scenario of musky fishing, guys are, uh, they're true animals when it comes down to it, Jeff. Yeah, and I think you're going to learn in this episode that Matt is, he's a diehard. He just can't get out on the water all the time. You know, he has responsibilities and stuff like that. And 
if he could be out there every single day, I think that he would. And maybe at some point in his career or life, he'll be able to do that. But as of right now, he is, you know, much like myself, he has four kids and he's, uh, he's got to make the most of those opportunities when he can. I agree. I mean, that that's the cool part about this whole sport as well. You know, I, you take the time and you do the things that really, really mean something to you. And sometimes uh, life gets in the way. Absolutely. Well, a couple things to pay the bills. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out my company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're your source for custom musky gear, whether it be musky mayhem tackle, musky innovations, Joe Booker Outdoors, Chaos Tackle, Slammer Tackle, Lungeon Lures, you name it, we have it. And I'm sure I left somebody out there, Brad, but throughout the course of all this, we've uh, we've definitely grown our lineup far exceeding what I ever thought it would get to. But, I mean, if you're looking for something in the musky world, check it out, TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Like I said, we typically are in the custom game, but we also have that stock color stuff nowadays. You want a black and nickel cowgirl or showgirl or whatever, trigger, detonator, doesn't matter. It doesn't even need to be musky mayhem products. We still have a lot of those products and my co-host today is brad hoppy with musky mayhem tackle and brad why don't you talk a little bit about your business yeah musky mayhem tackle you know we're the uh the originators of the flashaboo bait as well as the big big bladed uh bucktails if you will or non-bucktails and we're very proud of that and appreciate all of our customers um you know you can check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com as well as facebook instagram and check out our youtube channel as well and that's it. We have nothing else to talk about because we have no sponsors on this on this uh, podcast, so we can pretty much talk about whatever it is we want to, good, bad, indifferent. But anyways, we want to wish all of our listeners a happy new year. We want to thank everybody for taking time out of their schedule every single week to dial up this podcast. And I know Brad, Carrie, and myself, we can't thank you all enough. Let's go get Matt on the phone. All right, our guest tonight is Matt Brozick, and you know we've had a lot of talk about weekend warrior type stuff. And Matt is, I would say, you know, I'm, I don't use this as a derogatory term. He's a prototypical weekend warrior. Matt listens to the podcast. He got in touch with Brad, and you know, Brad, Brad kind of vetted him for me, saying <laughs> to say the least, or however you want to say it. And you know, thought that Matt would be a good guest for this arena i guess to talk about this weekend warrior stuff so matt i know that you're you know you got a couple kids and a busy schedule and a full-time job and everything else and so we appreciate you taking some time to talk about this topic for us and hopefully kind of i guess help out other people that are in your situation but before we get rolling matt why don't you talk a little bit about you know your background talk about a little bit who you are so our listeners have an idea of you know where you came from and what you're doing sure thing well I first of all want to just say thank you very much for having the the trust in me to not screw up the podcast tonight. So that's number one. And then thank you guys for also doing, uh, taking all the time and the effort and the work that it takes to line up guests and take the time to talk to them and put all this stuff out. Because as a, a weekend warrior guy, kind of like we were talking about uh a few minutes ago is this is where we get a lot of information. So I number one, want to thank you guys for doing that. And then secondly, to answer your question. So long story short is I grew up fishing crappies and walleyes and bass and open water and ice fishing and all that stuff. I'm from Southern Minnesota and 
So that wasn't new uh, or unusual, I guess, being from there. But I went to UMD up in Duluth and I got musky fishing. I started musky fishing, kind of a funny story. So a friend of mine who is from Three Lakes, Wisconsin, his name is Dave, he's probably going to listen to this. So he might, uh, he might turn it up at this point because he knows that I'm going to tell a story about him. But so I pulled up to 608 Woodland Avenue, probably on some Friday in about, I don't know, 2007. And he was packing his truck up. And as our conversation went, he said, well, Brozick, why don't you just hop in? You can come musky fish with me for the weekend. It's opener in Wisconsin. Well, I didn't really know what a muskie really was or, you know, maybe did, but I mean, I, I really like to fish, but, uh, muskies just weren't a thing being from Southern Minnesota. So long story short is he, he said, well, if you want to come with you, I have to ask you two questions. And so I kind of stepped back like, okay, well, what's this? He goes, okay, first question, can you operate a baitcaster? And I said, well, yeah, I can do that. That's, that's not a problem. He goes, okay, this is important. Second question. Do you like to drink beer? And I said, yeah, I can do that. He goes, okay, you can be a musky fisherman. Grab your stuff and hop in. <laughs> so <laughs> literally 20 minutes later, I'm in a you know, Ford pickup truck, and we're hauling across uh, Wisconsin over to Three Lakes. And that weekend, we went out Saturday morning, and we fished the, this lake where – we took like this logging trail. If there had been a tree down, I don't know how we would have turned around, but we found this lake and he, uh, Dave and his brother, John took me to the spot. We fished the first spot, then catch anything, second spot. And I hit a, a, a 38 inch muskie. First muskie I'd ever caught second spot. And we're about an hour and a half in. So kind of one of those things where you're, you're the lucky guy that, you know, never fished him before and then pops one right away. And then, so now we moved to uh, Sunday and we took the boat to fish our way to church. There's a, uh, on the, I, I couldn't even tell you where we were, but cause, because I wasn't really paying that much attention because I wasn't a super musky fisherman that was paying a ton of attention at that point. But we fished a couple of spots and we, we fished our way to church, you know, all the good stuff. Then we came back and on our way back, Dave told me to, to throw at this buoy and I threw a, same bait, a booger tail, uh, black skirt with a, it was either a chartreuse blade or a, an orange blade. But anyway, caught like a 33 or 34. And so my first weekend ever fishing muskies, I caught a 38 and a 34 inch muskie. And so I didn't have any appreciation on how difficult this whole sport is until the next two seasons went by when I had bought the gear, got excited, thought this was really cool and didn't catch a single monkey for the next two consecutive years. So that, that's kind of the background on how I got started monkey fishing. <laughs> it's a pretty cool story. I like it. Unfortunately, you know, like I shouldn't say, unfortunately, fortunately for you, you managed to put a couple in the boat right away. Unfortunately, uh, you got to see the struggle of it shortly after. So at, at one point you're thinking, Hey, this is going to be pretty easy. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it was cool too, because when we were going to school up in Duluth, I spent the summers up there and at that point, the St. Louis river was just an awesome place for a good number of fish and some really, really big fish. Those are like really awesome, like green iridescent river fish, the really mean ones. Those are up there. And so those are really fun. I personally didn't put a fish, but I was in the boat for a couple of really nice ones that we caught up on the river too. So that, that was really fun to be able to come back and actually enjoy time in the, uh, on the river. 
in the St. Louis River. Now that's obviously changed since the flood and everything else, but uh, yeah, those are some good memories up there. So Matt, how did you find Backlash Podcast? Because I mean, I mean, I'm really intrigued about that in the sense that you know you reached out to me, and uh, definitely you've had this in your background for a while. I know you're a musky fisherman. I, I'm curious, you know, how did that all come about? Well, kind of another story, but I was basically walking out to mow the lawn and had kind of gotten into some podcasts and listening to podcasts and. You know, it was, it was good stuff, but why would you not want to listen to musky fishing or talking about musky fishing if you could? And so I literally looked up musky fishing podcast or whatever I looked up and it happened to be the first, the first week that you guys ever put out a podcast. And so I clicked on it and I don't even remember who the first guest was. The first guest that I really remember, uh, was Matt, uh, Seifert talking about side imaging. I think I listened to that. No joke, I think three times in a row because I'm such a nerd for side imaging and electronics and boat setup and how you do all that. But yeah, that I literally the first week just by happenstance hopped on the podcast and I don't think I I may have missed one week, but I don't think so from the beginning all the way till now. I'm just amazed that he could get past episode one, Brad. I know uh, I I refuse to go back and listen to them because I'm afraid how horrifying they are. But, I mean, it's a good thing you got past episode one. I'd like to think we got a little bit better. But, you know, Matt, we just wanted to thank you for listening to all those. And, like I said, I'm glad that you stuck with us past the first episodes because, like I said, I just can't go back and do it. I got through it as best as I could. I I tried, you know, tried my best to just stop listening for a little while when you go on a ranch or whatever it was. But, yeah, I got through. It was fine. That's, that's good. <laughs> a rant. When when have we ranted? <laughs> I want to know that. <laughs> uh, no, they're all good rants. They're all good rants. Brad, it's more like when we, when have we ranted that we actually recorded it? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, you know, the neat thing about this whole thing is it's been a wild ride for both uh, both Jeff and I, and we love doing it, but. Uh, you know, the interesting part to this whole thing is is hearing from somebody like you, Matt, that uh, definitely wanted to bring another whole presentation, if you will, to this this whole podcast that we're doing. So, you know, I I don't know. I don't know where it goes from here, but we're going to we're going to learn from a listener basically tonight and try to understand exactly why people are actually listening, Jeff. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out myself. I know it's not they can't see us, so it's not my, you know, good looks. It's not your gray beard. So I don't know. I don't. I mean, it's all I can come back to is it's Carrie, but unfortunately, she misses like fifty percent of the episodes. So therefore, we're left, you know, holding it all the time. Well, you, you guys got to understand. You guys got to understand that as musky fishermen and musky fishermen that are willing to devote an hour to an hour and a half of their week listening to other people talk about musky fishing, we have a significant mental dysfunction to begin with. And so we're really willing to listen to whatever. I mean, you guys could be bad, which you're not. You guys do an awesome job, but you guys can be bad and we'll still listen to you because that's all we want to do and all we want to talk about and all we want to think about. That's good. At least we got that going for us. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your, I guess, let's try to help out the other people that are in your situation, Matt. 
So on a typical day or a typical weekend or whatever you're going to go fishing, well, let's first, first, let me ask you a question. How often do you get to get out on the water? Do you think over the course of a season, is it every weekend, every other weekend? What do you think? Yeah, this year was, uh, actually this year was really interesting because it was different for very many reasons, which a lot of people can imagine, but I got the, I got the least amount that I've been out since man, probably the Wisconsin, fishing with Dave's story. I was only out seven times, but I boated, yeah, seven times, and I boated six fish in seven outings, which was good. That's, that's my best catch rate I've ever had. But typically, you know, I'll catch, I don't know, anywhere between 10 to 12 fish a year, 10 to 14 fish a year. And, you know, there'll be others in, in the boat, but that's kind of my catch rate. And I might get out Ooh, man, I've never counted it, but I guess 20 times-ish, maybe, give or take. Sure. Well, I'd say that was a pretty good season then. If you got out seven times, you said, and caught six fish. Is that what you said? Yeah. And it was interesting because all of the fish were 42 and a half to 43 and a half inches, every single one of them. They were literally identical. It was pretty interesting. I didn't have that problem. You reversed those numbers. It's probably about where I was at this year. Thirty-two and a half to thirty-four and a half, something like that. You know, somewhere twenty-four right. and a half. Wait, is that yeah, forty-two. Reverse that would be twenty-four to. <laughs> yeah, that sounds closer to right. <laughs> well, I've had those seasons too, so you're you're not the only one. Well, it's funny because you know on this podcast we get a lot of people that do want to talk weekend warrior stuff, and I'm like, I am still the prototypical weekend warrior. I still have an electrical contracting gig that I do during the week. I still run Team Rhino Outdoors. I have four kids. And so I don't get to go fishing as much as say, Brad, I'm definitely not out there all the time, but so I have those same struggles that you do, but you know, to get on to, you know, get this to somewhere I can help somebody. What's like one, what's like, what are the keys that you're looking for when you're going out? I mean, what are things that you, that you want to know before you hit the water for the next trip that you're going to be on? You know, from a guy who has maybe a handful of people in his network, which you know, I, depending on where we're going, those people might or may not be applicable. So, you know, that, that's a tough part of really, who do you call if I'm going to Vermilion, but all my buddies fish the Metro, well, you know, that might not work. So that's a little bit difficult. A lot of times the, the podcasts like this are going to be, you know, like, and I'll, I'll remember all of a sudden, Hey, there was one guy that is a guide on Vermilion and I'll go back and listen to that podcast probably twice once on the way up there and once before we leave. And then another place that we go is YouTube and YouTube is a, a I think you know, it can be good and bad, whatever it is, however you want to look at it. But I think looking at the way that other people fish, not necessarily trying to find the spot that they're on, but like how they, how they, uh, how they run their figure eights. And when they have a figure eight fish come in, how are they, pulling that bait away from the fish and where are they trying to get it to bite and where are they pulling it away from it? So like being very particular and learning as much as you can, not just the entertainment factor, which is a good reason why you're watching it, but you know, just being very particular on how they're doing stuff. And so that's a, a part of it. But for sure, if I'm going to go to a new body of water, like I was out last year in, in uh, Western Minnesota and a body of water I've never been on, and I went back and keys outdoors like seven years ago had an episode there on that lake. And I remember that they were out there. And so I went all the way back and found that episode and I watched it twice. 
And I'm not looking necessarily for spots because spots are going to change and fish are going to change. Presentations are going to change, but I'm just listening to everything I can hear from, Hey, we typically are seeing this, this, and this, or, you know, bait kind of this, or the weeds are over in, you know, they're in 22 feet of waters or the weed edges. So I'm picking up as much as I can on the layout of the lake. And then the other thing, the big part is I'm looking at my Lake Master maps. So I'll go through my boats in the shed or whatever it is, or I might even pull the graph off and grab a Vexilar battery and plug it in and, and sit in my, my chair and in the house and go through it. And I'll actually mark out spots, not like mark them out to how I'm going to fish them, but just put waypoints on those spots so that when I hit the water, I know, okay, these are the five or the 10 or the 15 different areas that I really want to hit or I really want to look at because I want to take the least amount of stress or I want to, I want to have the least amount of stress on myself at that point in time when I hit the water and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a big lake and I don't know where to go. I at least can go back to those waypoints. And when I was in a calmer state of mind, I guess I can go back and I can say, okay, these are three points that I wanted to look at and I'll go through and, and I'll drive those inside of each of those. And I know we could probably get into that, but that's, that's kind of the answer as to what I do getting ready for a trip or uh, going out for whatever, an evening or a five day, six day, seven day Lake of the Woods trip or something like that too. Yeah, I think the interesting point here that you bring up, Matt, is that you're actually using your true electronics, whether it be in the living room or it be in your garage in the boat. But, you know, you're using that versus paper. Is that does that pretty much sum it up? I mean, you're definitely using the electronic side of the mapping. Yeah, I have a couple of paper maps, but they're only for so many lakes. And, you know, if I'm going to go on a lake that I don't have a paper map for, then I'll definitely look at that. But even the paper maps, I think they they can be absolutely valuable. Like I have one of Vermilion that I've marked up over the last few times we've been up there. And I keep that one and I actually have it hanging up in my shed. <laughs> so it's almost like a piece of art because it's just it's so cool. But uh, yeah, I, I would say the majority of the time, though, that I'm behind my graph, whether it's in my easy chair plugged into a Vexlar battery or I'm actually sitting in the boat at the end of the night when the kids are down and all that stuff going through and and looking at that and marking out spots and thinking how I'm going to fish that. So while you're getting the evil eye from your wife, Matt, um, because I'm, I'm guessing as you bring your electronics in the house, she's probably going, what is he doing this time? Um, let me ask you this. When you finally arrive at the lake, are you using other electronics to maybe kind of justify what you've done for studying inside the, the living room? Oh, absolutely. I, I have Humminbird gear on my boat, and oftentimes I find that the spots that I mark, I'll still, I'll still go and, and hit all those, and, and I'll typically like those, but they typically are going to set up different than what you think they are, especially for new body of water. If you've been there a few times and you kind of understand how stuff sets up, you might have a weed edge change a little bit because of high water, low water, clear water, dirty water. But it doesn't change significantly. But on a new body of water, I'm going to drive as much as I can, especially for opener. I go for opener, and I'm there Friday morning. If I have to leave at 3 o'clock in the morning, like I told you guys, I have a significant mental dysfunction called musky fishing. I'll leave at 2, 3 in the morning, no problem, and get there at, you know, say, sunrise or a little after 
because I want to be able to drive, even though I know I'm not going to fish, but I will drive all of those spots and I'll mark out boulders or I'll mark out weed lines or I'll mark out where the junk weeds turn into the good weeds or the milfoil stops here. And then the, the coontailer cabbage starts there. So I spend a ton of time doing that. And side imaging is a big deal. I think that I could tell you a really funny story about my dad and I trying to walleye fish out in South Dakota with a younger ish guy like me who is, is looking at side imaging and an older ish guy like my dad, I should, maybe he might listen to this. I might, I want to call him older ish, but and, uh, you know, he, he's looking at me like, why are we driving the spot? Why aren't we fishing? You know, to me, it's like, I'm, I'm looking for fish. I'm not going to fish a, a spot because it's a spot. I'm fishing the spot because there's life there. There's fish there. There's bait fish there. Whether I'm walleye fishing, crappie fishing, bass fishing, or otherwise, the muskies, I spend a ton of time just driving around. I know, Jeff, you've talked about that on the podcast, just taking even an hour on your day and taking a break and just driving spots. It's amazing how much you can learn if you just take some time and do that. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that a lot of guys don't do is take that time. Everybody wants to go catch a fish, and that's that's great. I want to catch fish too, but that kind of homework can help help your success later on that day. So I think that's I think it's important, especially now. I mean, because most places you control. I mean, if anything, just throw a line out or whatever you're allowed to do legally, and go cruise around and check out these spots. There's a chance you could pick up a fish off that you know just trolling around for one. And for two, you can learn a lot about the layout of a lake and what's going on in the lake relatively quickly, especially like you said, with the signed imaging that you're using. Yeah. And I, I think too, even in the middle of the day, you know, the, even the best musky fishermen on the planet are going to get a little bit sore. And if you're not seeing fish, it's going to take a, a beating mentally. And so even just taking a half hour, whatever it is, or you come out on a give a good example on a, on a lake locally here, I'll go out and before I even start fishing, I'll take say the, the top four spots I want to fish. I'll drive spot one, spot two, spot three, and spot four. And then I'll actually go back and fish spot one, obviously, cause that's the you know longest time between driving over that fish and coming back on it. But just to get a lay of the land, you know, where are you seeing bait? Are you seeing the, where are the hard to soft bottom transitions and where are the weed lines and all of that stuff? Where's the structure? Where's the cover? And just kind of thinking that through, I think that's, that's a huge, huge learning curve for weekend warriors. If there's no other suggestion I can give to everybody out there, you can get really, really dialed on your electronics. You are light years ahead and your, your time is spent so much better on the water because you're actually fishing where you have a high probability, not just fishing a spot because you caught a fish there three years ago. The one question that I have is, are we talking more or less on lakes that, uh, that you've previously fished or maybe is this a lake that, uh, you've never fished? I'll, I'll do both. So as an example, this fall, I was up at Minnetonka and I was there, man, I don't know. Other two full days. And I never caught a fish. But the point is, is even though I've been on that lake a number of times, I would go and drive those spots beforehand. And then I would come back around and fish those because I hadn't been to them all year. It was the first time I've been to those. No, if I was there last week, I probably wouldn't drive them because I moved a few fish there or whatever it is. So that's a little different. But 
for new water or water that I haven't been to. And let's say, I guess the time frame is tough to say, but I would any anything where the weather's changed, temperatures change, winds change, any of that stuff, then yeah, I'll go back through and I'll drive that stuff at idle and check it out before I'm going to go and spend the you know hour and a half fishing it versus 20 minutes or 15 minutes driving it. I think it's more efficient. You know, I'm not looking necessarily for fish. I'm not pulling up and saying, hey, there's four muskies here. I'm looking for life. I'm looking for bait. I'm looking for the weed line. So that I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of what I do. No, I think that it totally answers. I was just curious, you know, I mean, because, you know, one of the problems that I think we have that happens to all anglers actually is that, you know, if you fished a body of water, sometimes you fish memories versus uh, maybe what you should be fishing. And so it's always interesting to hear what other people think when, when they show up to a body of water, you know, or they go into their little hit, hit runs, you know, that they think are, you know, the milk run that they always thought that they should be on, or are they revamping and looking at the new structures that, Hey, I, I need to do this. And I think one of the points to that is that, you know, as anglers, even if you've been on the same lake for say five years, you, you hit it every weekend or whatever you might do, you need to dig a little bit deeper and, and try throughout every one of those days, something new, you know? And, and I think we forget that as anglers. It wasn't, wasn't it where, I think it was Ron Strand was on either a podcast or some interview or something like that. And he was told by, a, I think a mentor of his or something like that, but he had said that a third of your spots that you fish in a day should be brand new. And obviously lake size and structure and all that stuff is going to dictate that. But I remember hearing about him talking that that is a, a big way why he has been successful is because he wasn't fishing all the memory. He was willing to go try stuff and try it at good times. You, sometimes they're successful, sometimes they're not, but it's, you're learning as you're going. Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. And I think one of the challenges that we have as guides, I would say, on a guide perspective to this whole topic is that, you know, you don't want to waste your clientele's time. And a lot of times that means that you're going back to where you seen fish yesterday or maybe a month ago, or whatever it might be. And at the end of the day, you neglected to, to look for those new spots. And I, I guess I challenge myself, you know, dig a little bit deeper and try to find some of that new stuff every day. So it goes right back to what you're talking about. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. So my question back to you is, from a guy who's on the water every day, you know, I struggle trying to figure out where I'm going to fish. Do you have some of the same struggles with regard to the, the memory necessarily or trying new spots or is that, I mean, is that tough for you to, to figure out or how do you get around that? You know, Matt, it, it's so bizarre because I, like I said, I challenge myself every day to at least try something new, whether that be a new spot or sometimes it's a new body of water. But ultimately um, what it really boils down to is that, when you're on fish and say over the last two weeks, I've had fish on this spot, I've had fish on this spot. I think that's really the big difference between the weekend angler versus a guide. If you're continually on the water every stinking day, you already have those spots in the back of your mind. Um, but the challenge becomes when it's time to go check something out, you know, 
I will also say though, on the backside of it, when things are kind of going good and maybe they're going bad, it doesn't matter good or bad. All of a sudden something will jog in your memory. Like, man, I remember on this day, you know, it was like mid July and guess what? We're mid July right now. We had a Southwest wind and a big front came in and I got a big fish on this spot. And so some of those memories come back and they can be successful and a lot of times, though, you, you go there and you go, ooh, I just burnt, you know, 15, 30 minutes of time and we didn't even do anything at all. So you got to look at both sides of that. But it's a gut feeling, ultimately. Yeah. Well, the, the whole sport is zero to hero. You know, you, one bite can change your entire season. So that's just the way it goes. You try stuff out and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You just work with it and keep moving that's the whole story of muskie fishing ultimately well the seasons that Mm -hmm. go really good are the ones where you make those gut decisions and they worked out the seasons that go bad you make those gut decisions and they they don't work out and then you have those in between where some work and some don't so it's kind of like you said it's it's crazy how it goes from zero to hero i told the story a couple weeks back of me trolling with my kids and my son gets a muskie well he was super happy that day he got a muskie had we not caught that one it would have been just you know, another day hanging out with dad on the water wouldn't been nearly as memorable. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of the sport itself. It's unfortunately, you know, less opportunities at them, but when you do, it's a memorable opportunity. I mean, I know throughout the course of your season, you can probably remember all those fish that you caught, what you caught them on, where you caught them, what lake you caught them on. If you're a walleye fisherman, you would never have that. Yeah. I mean, I- my fish, which is not a lot this year, I, I mean, I could tell you which crank on the, on the on the reel for that cast. I mean, I remember every single one of those. And actually, I was telling Brad on our first conversation that the majority of them, if not all of them, came on uh, the Mucky Mayhem bucktails this year. So that was super fun. The big blades and they they worked out for me. So that was that was really fun to be able to literally not take a bait off my rod for you know four or five times maybe you know six times out in a row and just having a ton of confidence that i'm going to go out i'm going to throw this i and i'm going to get that so that was super fun this year the real question is can you remember what times of the day your kids were born that's what i really want to know I, I have four kids and I remember the first one. I don't think I remember the rest of them, <laughs> but I can tell you every single time I caught a fish last year. <laughs> well, we won't tell our wives that cause I got the same problem. So it's, uh, well, the good news, the good news is, is if my wife were even remotely listening to this at this point in the recording, it's probably, she's not, you know, she's done at this point. There's no way. So yeah, yeah it'll be fun. I just say I can kind of remember the uh, general time frame, but I, you know, I can I could tell you that most of them were either super early in the morning or later at night, and there was only one of them that was like mid morning where it was where the sun was up. But I can definitely not tell you exact times, but I could for sure tell you the exact location of the very first muskie I caught, what bait I caught it on, <laughs> the weather, like everything about it. But yeah, we won't tell yeah, wind direction. Right. Yeah, we won't talk about mm-hmm. that with our wives. No, we want to stay married. We don't want to bring that up. Right. I mean, I guess that's part of the sickness, I guess. There's just, it's inex- unexplainable, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So now we're on the water. We did some homework. We drove around. How about, let's talk about bait selection there, Matt. What's, uh, sure. you got something that, I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be 
based on time of year, water temperature and, and stuff like that, as far as what baits you choose, but is there a particular, you know, let's just say, let's pick June, July, for example, is there a particular bait you're going to be starting out with, or is that going to change as well? Yeah. So my last two seasons, I shouldn't say, uh, this last season wasn't as much, but the season prior is I caught whatever it was like 12 muskies, I think that year. And 10 of the 12 came on dive and rise, like suet type baits. And I have a ton of confidence in those really got dialed in and how to work those. And there's a, there's a, to me, there's a specific way to work those. And the, you know, there's a whole, probably a show just in that stuff. But, uh, so that, that was one that really did well. Obviously the normal, you know, I don't try to reinvent the wheel. It's a, it's a bucktail type of thing. If it's not, you know, a dive and rise bait or it's rubber. So it's, it's nothing crazy because I don't, personally, I don't have a ton of time on the water. So I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel unless I have, you know, six days and like in the woods and you know, you're trying to do that. But I would say to me, it's almost, you know, how the spot lays out. And are you fishing in three feet of water and sand? Or are the fish pushed way up on the rocks on the shoreline? Are they in an inside edge? So to me, it's almost more of a, uh, a selection relative to where or what you're fishing, whether it's structure or cover or whatever it might be. That's really where I'm going to start dictating as to how I'm going to fish that or if I'm fishing by myself or I'm fishing with one or two other people. With the way I fish, I'm very weather-oriented. And so not a lot of people, I, I own a, a business, so I have some more flexibility. So I might fish probably 60% of the time by myself. So that's going to change how I'm going to select it. I might throw, uh, I might have literally two or three rods sitting next to me and I might fish a spot with three different baits, three different ways. And because it's the most productive spot. So I don't know if I'm answering your question or not, but it's really just going to depend on where I'm sitting or you know, how the spot sets up or if I'm fishing by myself or not, or three baits in the water or one bait in the water. So maybe that's an answer. I don't know. I would say that's an answer. It's not, it, you definitely are going out there paying attention to what you're, you know, what's going on on the water and that's, what's making your, your, your choice that day. You know, I would say some guys are going to be like, Oh, it's June. I'm throwing bucktails. It's July. I'm throwing bucktails and they're going to throw a bucktail and they're going to live or die by that bucktail throughout the course of a day. I could be wrong. I have fished with partners that are a hundred percent that way. That's much like you. I, not last season, the season before, well, last season was decent too, as far as suics, but I had a really good suic bite as well. So it was definitely one I leaned on more often, but it would be, I mean, if, if I was fishing weeds and they were coming up within a foot of the surface, I'm definitely not going to be throwing a suic through that stuff. So I, your answer mm -hmm. definitely makes sense. No doubt. You talked about fishing you know, with a, by yourself, like 60% of the time, I'm just curious, do you like fishing by yourself versus having a partner? Cause I know for me, there's good and bad with both. Sometimes it's nice yeah. just to be able to get out on the water by yourself and just do your own thing. No, there's nobody looking crazy at you. If you're literally up in like two feet of water doing dumb stuff, it, no, there's nobody in the back of the boat, like second guessing me, like, what the heck are you doing here? <laughs> I, I do a lot of dumb stuff. So yeah, it's kind of nice sometimes <laughs> when you have, when you have no one else in the boat, but I would say to me, it's almost therapeutic. I mean, to, to be out on the water and just to get away from 
uh, just the normal grind of, of everyday life and just to be out and focus on just where your boat's at, where your bait's at. And, you know, like if you're throwing rubber as an example, just thinking in your head, how is that bait walking down the weed edge or something like that? To me, that's just fun. I just really enjoy that. And so I, I like being in the boat by myself. But then, you know, sometimes it's also nice to have other people in the boat and you have a conversation and talk to them and buddies and, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to, to have other people around to even do the stuff after you get off the water, you know, have some supper and, and, you know, maybe have a fire on a, on a trip or something like that, or you're camping on an island or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to that, but I don't mind fishing by myself that much because I am such a significant nerd when it comes to the particulars that it's sometimes hard for me to fish with someone that doesn't care about the particulars. And I'm looking at them like, why in the world did you just do that? Don't do that. Like that the, the rock is over that way. Like I told cast that way. So that can be hard sometimes. It just, you know, I don't know if that resonates at all, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm just a nerd for information and nerd for, for all that stuff. So, it is kind of nice being able to, to do what you want, try something super off the wall and two feet of water and, you know, flipping trees with a tube or something goofy. So I, yeah, I, I like doing that sometimes too. Well, the one thing cool you mentioned there that I thought was cool is how you talked about how you enjoy working the baits. And I think sometimes that's one thing that newer anglers to the sport, maybe they lose, they don't ever have that. It's all about the catch. It's all about that and I think in musky fishing because there's so much time where you're not catching anything you really do need to enjoy that part of of being on the water because otherwise you're going to end up you know upset probably more often than you're not unless you're Brad I mean I know Brad catches them every day he's got that guarantee in his boat like no catch no pay type of a deal so I know that he I heard about that, that one yeah yeah, I, I booked I booked four days with him uh, next year uh, on the guarantee of uh, at least one or two fish a day. Yeah, I mean I know he has that guarantee. So unlike unlike Brad, you know, some of us need to enjoy the little things in musky fishing. I think you guys are a bit confused at this point, but okay. <laughs> uh, just a bit confused, huh? Yeah. Just a tad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, you know, the crazy part about musky fishing is that there is no guarantees. I mean, ultimately, it, it's a challenge. And the neat thing about it is it's a challenge. You know, that that's the cool part. And I think uh, we all get lost. I mean, you, you watch, say, a TV show, a YouTube show, show, whatever it might be, and you see these guys, they're just bang, 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 they're catching three fish, and guess what, 20 minutes flew by, and you're like, wow, they got that done in like, you know, an hour. Well, it's not quite that way, right? I mean, it ultimately is a ton of work, a ton of time. And at the end of the day, it's just, a, it's whoever works the hardest is going to be the most successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Unfortunately, typically the guy that does grind the hardest is going to be the most successful. There's no doubt about that. Well, that's, that's the whole thing about musky fishing, though. If you don't love to be out there, whether you catch something or not, like you're not going to have fun. To me, it's, it's always a learning experience when I'm driving off the water and I need to catch a fish and I was just beating the water for hours and hours and hours and hours doing something I had a you know, high confidence in and all of a sudden just didn't work out to me. I'm like, why did that not happen? So 
asking those questions, I think, is really the way to become a better angler. Is why were you successful or why were you unsuccessful? And I think that helps with your decision-making process in the future, whether it's conscious or subconscious. I'll definitely agree with you. You were talking about the one thing I sometimes always relate back to is when I didn't catch fish that day is I always think, and I know you're just starting to want to get into some tournament fishing. We talked about that earlier, but in a tournament situation, somebody was going to figure out that pattern and they were going to catch muskies. And so the musk, there were some muskies available probably to be caught that particular day when I didn't catch them. And I want to know why I didn't like, why wasn't I successful? You know, what was I doing wrong? What would somebody else have been doing? Why would they have caught them? And those types of things. And I think, you know, as you look into the PMTT, as you were talking about, you're going to see that those are the cool, that's the cool thing about tournaments. I've said it on this podcast before is tournament results don't lie. You can meet a guy at the mm-hmm. boat launch and he can tell you, you got two. Maybe he didn't, maybe he did, or maybe he didn't. I don't ever ask guys at the boat, like, let me see your phone. I want to see the pictures. You know, I don't, that's just not something I'm going to do. So maybe he's lying to me. Maybe he got two and he wanted to feel good about himself. So he told me he got two. And meanwhile, I got skunked. And I was probably going to tell you I got skunked every day anyways. But, you know, it's those types of things is those tournament results don't lie. And there's somebody every day, somebody's going to figure out the pattern and figure out the key that day to put muskies in the boat. Yeah. And that, that's the hard part too, is you could go out there and you could be doing the exact same thing as that guy. But you were on the, you know, the, the point that was a uh, half mile north from where he was and he boats three fish and you boat none and you had the identical bait, all the stuff, you know, so it's, sometimes it's just, uh, you know, the toss up, but I'm always focusing on what can I learn from a success or a failure. And I think that's enough. My goal is just to become a better angler and that. I think is the only way to look at it is how can you get better? You just got to keep learning. And I, I don't know if Brad, I mean, you, you've been fishing a lot. You obviously are very successful, but I don't know if that's kind of the way you think about stuff on, on the water too. Well, absolutely. I mean, here's the deal. I mean, you can get hung up on, on somebody's hint, if you will. So somebody tells you one little thing and it's kind of like looking at the, the internet man, so-and-so just caught this giant fish on this body of water. Well, guess what? By the time that you've seen that, it's probably not happening anymore. And I, I know, again, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier with fishing memories. So you definitely need to do your own thing and figure out your own patterns and kind of put the puzzles, the, piece, the puzzle pieces together on your own timeline, if you will. Yeah. I completely agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. And and when you hear of a bite, you know, like you said, that bite's already over. The fish were already caught, and don't chase that bite because you you want to go find the bite. Don't chase the bite because you are, have a much higher probability of finding a bite than you do chasing a bite, especially when it's out there on YouTube or Facebook or a picture or something that a lot of people can see. That's, that's typically over at that point. Hands down. I know, I know early in my career, I got caught up in that. I mean, I, I remember when Malax was first turning on and, and I had been fishing over here where I fish and I'm like, man, we got to get to Malax. You see this fish and blah, blah, blah. And you get over there and the bite's off, you know, and not that it was off very often on Malax, but 
but uh, as an example, I mean, I was thinking, man, there's a bunch of fish just posted. Well, guess what? Those fish were posted a month later, and uh, mm-hmm. everybody was chasing that same bite, and, and actually, the bite was really, truly over. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you can't get hung up in those little details. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, so Matt, we kind of briefly touched on it, but I, I'm really curious, you know, so you've done your studying, you've done your research at home, you've uh, used your electronics, you've, you've used possibly paper maps as well. Now you're on the water, you're say six, eight hours into this whole trip. Where do you go from here? I mean, how are you breaking down what you've learned from at the couch, looking at your electronics? Also now you've got six, eight hours on the water. How are you breaking it down from there? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I don't know if this is the right answer, I don't know if there is a right answer, but the, well, actually, I'll tell you a story. So two years ago on opener, I had done exactly kind of what we had talked about. Side image on Friday in Minnesota here. So you obviously you can't fish. So we're just going out checking stuff. And I knew that there, the fish were kind of in a certain area. And the way that I knew that is I came up with, I don't know what the six part system to any spot. And this might be wrong, might not, I don't know. But I look at spots and I think there are only six different ways that a musky can set up on a spot. So when I went out the next day, I found the biggest, most predominant uh, piece of structure that I could find that had easy access to deep water. And then I broke that down into six different categories is one, those fish could be directly, like almost on the shoreline, fins out of the water. That's the spot that they could be. Not likely, but it could. The next spot is it could be the sand or the uh, maybe sparse weeds between the actual shoreline and the inside weed edge. The third spot is the inside weed edge. The fourth spot to me is over the top of those weeds. The fifth is the outside edge and the sixth is open water. And when I thought about this, this really helped me because I could check a spot in those six different ways. And I knew that I had covered it. And so if I pulled up on a spot and I said, Hey, I really think they're going to be on the inside edge and I don't find them. Well, okay. Then I have two ways to go. I can go inside or I can go outside. Okay. Let's check over the top. And you go check over the top. Now you might move a fish. Okay, now there's a clue. Where did that fish come from? And so I had this happen a couple of years ago where side imaging, say, six feet of water and out and saw some bait over the top of these weeds, saw a little bit of bait on the outside edge, saw no bait on the inside edge. And then in three feet of sand into the shore, I physically got, this is Friday now, I got up on the bow of my boat with the remote on my, in my hand for my trolling motor. And I drove the spot that I thought these fish would be. There's a lot of life. The most life there is on any big major spot with easy access to deep water in the whole lake. And so as I was driving the spot, I could see it was a really clear body of water. So it's like, you know, two to four feet and sunny out, no wind. And so I can see anything and there's no fish up there. So I knew I could pinpoint that out of those six spots, those fish were likely maybe buried in the inside edge, 
they were likely over the top because that's where the most bait was, or they could be over the outside edge. And I knew they weren't in open water because I took a ton of side image swipes way out from any structure over open water, anywhere between 30 and 50 feet of water. And so breaking it down in that way, in those six ways, allowed me to put three fish in the boat, I'm sorry, four fish in the boat, opening musky season for, was it two years ago, I think, like I said. Uh, so that was super fun is just kind of breaking it down in that way. And so if I have a spot that I try on a body of water that I haven't fished or like opener, none of us have fished for a long time, that's the way I think about it. And so I can take a big spot and slice it to where you don't feel like, Hey, I just fished that and I didn't see any fish. Now I failed. It's like, well, they're probably here because it's a big predominant spot. It's really obvious. And now I just have to slice it six ways. So maybe that answers the question. Maybe it doesn't, but that's the way I think about those spots. Well, I think Matt, as an example, I, I can relate back to when we were doing DVDs years ago and, you know, we're producing all these DVDs and I put, I fished with a bunch of different guides during that time frame, And I'll never forget one, one moment where the first day of filming, we didn't catch a fish and I was on a new body of water to me. And at the end of the day, we, we got back, we got the boat on the trailer and I went up to the window and I, I asked this, this guide, I said, what do you think we learned today? And he looked at me like I was on a different planet. I mean, honestly, he's like, what do you mean, Brad? And I, it was really strange to me because we kept going shallow. You know, we were going to that six foot or shallower to shoreline. And all the fish that we seen were in that 20 foot to 16 foot. So at the end of the day, I, I just had to ask the question, you know, why, what did we learn? What are we doing tomorrow? you know, and, um, eventually I had to kind of help him through it and basically say, this is what we're, I think we should concentrate on tomorrow, just based off of our day on the water. The fish are deeper than where you really truly want to fish. And the next day we went out there and we started doing that deeper weed line stuff and we were still seeing fish. And eventually we just ended up back in the shallow water. So I think everybody's comfort zones are somewhere else but that doesn't necessarily relate to where the fish want to be and where you're going to catch those fish. And I think we, we all get hung up in those deals and it doesn't matter who the guy is. doesn't matter who we are. You know, ultimately we have our own comfort zones, but that doesn't mean that's where the fish are going to be. Yeah. I think just like you said, where are the fish setting up and what baits can I use to be able to, get at those fish in an efficient way. Sometimes it's blades, sometimes it's diving rise, sometimes it's top water, sometimes it's uh, bulldog, sometimes it's jigging. Just what bait, where can I get a bait in front of that fish's face and not get whatever hooked up on weeds or rocks or, you know, get fouled up. So I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that keeps coming up in my mind, at least, as we've talked about these different spots you know, you're talking about a couple different baits that are maybe a slower cadence in, in the realm of muskies. And I guess, you know, when you're first getting to the body of water for the weekend or whatever it might be, you know, are you throwing something that you can work fast, looking for those active fish? 
are you actually just, you know, concentrating on working spots slowly and uh, maybe using a different bait that is a slower presentation? I'm kind of curious on how you adjust in that realm. Yeah, I would say if there's anything that I do that probably I need to get better at, it's fishing fast. I just naturally fish a spot slower and more methodically. And maybe that sometimes that pays off and sometimes it doesn't. But if there's a, a way that I could get better as a fisherman, it's, it's probably fishing faster. So I would agree that the majority of the time, I'm really thinking about where that bait is in the water and really picking apart a spot and trying to get a, a bait right in that fish's face instead of just running and gunning. I'm not, I don't do well with that. I probably could get better at it. I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing, Matt. I'm, I'm just curious because, I mean, if you're alone, I think sometimes we fish so fast when you're alone in a boat. And uh, anymore where I'm at at this point, I, I don't fish alone a whole lot. But, you know, when you're fishing alone, sometimes I think you can go so fast and blow by different spots. But then, you know, one mind that or one person that comes to my mind um, talking about speed of angling is Bob Benson. I mean, Bob Benson's a guide up on, on uh, Vermilion and he is so fast, whether he's alone or not. I mean, that trolling motor is cruising and he's just boom, 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 boom. You know, he's hitting these spots as fast as he can. And, and there's some benefit to that, I guess, you know, I never would have considered quite as fast as he's going, but the neat thing about what he's doing is, is he's looking for that one active fish at that particular moment. And I don't know, you know, are you missing fish by doing that? Or are you actually capitalizing when it really comes down to it? Yeah. And, and I think too, there's, there's something to be said about going fast like that. And maybe I could be a better fisherman doing it. I'm not totally sure, but I think some of the stuff is, you know, if you have a couple people in the boat, whether it's, two or three in the, uh, people in the boat and you're hitting anybody of water, you want someone fishing something really fast up front, maybe something medium uh, in the second spot. And then number three, maybe it's a slower presentation. And if all of a sudden you're getting, you know, say number eight showgirls just burning them in in the front spot and you're getting fish to move, well, man, we're all changing to something smaller and faster. And we're, we're going to turn the boat speed up because, it's like you guys talk about all the time. It's let the fish tell you what they want. Don't fish the way you want to. You might start that way, but let the fish tell you what, what, what they want. And so I, maybe that's an answer. I don't know. Well, I absolutely think that's a perfect answer. Um, I always say it, you know, I mean, let the fish tell you exactly what's going on. And sometimes, the, you know, that piece to the puzzle takes more time than it maybe you want it to. But at the end of the day, once you figure that out, hey, man, it's game on. So it can be frustrating. There's, there's no question. I mean, the sport of muskies, it, it's frustrating on a daily, hourly, minute-wise, you know. But uh, ultimately, once you start getting those pieces of the puzzle, it just kind of starts forming a, its own fit. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. So Matt, you got any other, anything else that you found has shortened the learning curve as far as your musky career? Because I mean, I mean, based off what I hear, you're definitely not the uh, super novice. I mean, you are you're the weekend warrior based off definition, but I mean, you definitely have your stuff together. What you got anything that's kind of helped you along the ways a little bit too? 
Yeah, I, I think that hiring a guide makes a ton of sense in our the fish that we fish for. Obviously, muskie is defined by whatever fish of 10,000 casts. So you don't have a ton of feedback where you might have a bass or walleye or something like that. And so I started hiring a guide. Uh, I fished with Ryan McMahon a number of times. And, you know, the reason I started fishing with him is because I said, hey, I want to learn. I want you to tell me what's wrong with my figure eight. I want you to tell me how I'm working things wrong or how I'm doing things right. And so over the course of a number of times, I spent, uh, I spent the smallest amount of time learning the most that I could in the boat because he was able to say, hey, don't do that. Or, hey, that was really good. Or if a fish comes in and it did bite, he would tell me why that was successful. Or if a fish comes in the figure eight and it didn't bite, he'd be like, hey, next time I would try to do this. And so I know I did this and a lot of people think this way is, you know, guides are not cheap, you know, four or five hundred bucks, whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's not a small amount of money, but I will tell you if your goal is to become a better angler or have a really good, uh, really good time with your, whether it's significant other or your kids or something like that, man, there is no better dollar that you can spend on hiring a guide. And again, you want to make sure it's the right one. If your goal is education and your guide doesn't want to tell you what's going on, then that's probably not the right fit, but finding the right guide and learning from them, you will not learn that stuff at least as fast on the water by yourself. So that was one of the big things that I did is invest, you know, once or twice a year in spending some time uh, with a guide. That's like musky fishing boot camp right there. Asking Ryan McMahon to, to uh, critique everything that you do in the boat. That's how that is. Yeah. He, he critiqued the, few things for sure but it was well worth it i mean i i didn't take it offensively i'm like dude just tell me what i'm doing wrong and he was willing to tell me that and i still have a really good relationship with him and, and talk with him a number of times a year and so yeah I, it was well worth it yeah that's i i know it i played that game in my early part of my career i was mostly because i unlike you i didn't have the immediate immediate success i had to go out multiple times and saw very little, caught very little, and then finally, towards the end of one season, I hired a guide. It was I'm good friends with him now, Steve Jensen, Jensen's fish hunts up in Hayward, and literally he had a muskie in the boat, and I don't even know how quick it was ten minutes, maybe twenty minutes, and I'm just like shaking my head, like, what the heck am I doing wrong? Obviously, you know he knows the water well, and no, he's on the patterns and all that stuff, and it was September, so. I don't want to say that makes it easy, but it helps out a little bit. They're, the bite in September can be pretty predictable. And so he had one in the boat fast. Learned a lot that day. I used to hire him like one day, a, you know, one day a season or two days a season at the most just to, you know, just keep picking his brain. I and mean, you could talk a lot and learn a lot on the water with those guys. And it's if you can swing it, it's definitely a good, a good idea to get out and, you know, invest in a guide. Yeah. And especially a lot of those guys, you know, they'll have two, maybe even three guys in the boat. And so if you start splitting it two or three ways, it's not as bad as just trying to, to suck it up and, and fork over cash yourself. So but to me, that, that was a huge benefit and a huge learning curve. All right. So, Matt, before we started recording tonight, actually, it was 
the other day when you were talking to Brad, Brad called me up and he had a pretty cool story that he told me about you about a bass fishing story. Why don't you talk a little bit about a bass tournament that you were fishing with your son? Yeah. So I have four kids and my oldest, his name's Owen. He is now eight years old, was seven years old at the time. And obviously with all the COVID stuff and whatever, we spent a ton of time as a family on the boat and I spent a lot of time fishing with him and trying to create his own mental dysfunction with muskies. I decided, Hey, let's start with bass. And so, uh, you know, watching YouTube videos and all this stuff, but so he really wanted to fish bass tournaments. And I have a couple of buddies that are neighbors of mine that are huge bass guys. And so I'm like, okay, well let's, let's do that. So they're fishing. They obviously know what they're doing. My buddies that, uh, they know what they're doing. So I'm taking my seven year old out in a musky boat. I have never really musky fish. I'm sorry, never bass fished out of my musky boat. And so I'm total novice. And, uh, this is like maybe the third turn of the year where Owen and I go out and we're fishing clear body of water and we have some fish in the live well and we're looking for a kicker fish. And I noticed that every other bass boat, so there's 20 to 24 other boats in the, the field on a Thursday night or, you know, three, whatever it's three, three and a half hour tournament and every other bass guy's beating the, the bank. And to me, when I was driving this, this spot, I'm looking at it and saying, hey, there's a secondary coontail weed edge outside of the junk weed that if I were a big fish, like I'm thinking if I were a musky fisherman and I'm fishing muskies and I'm trying to find the biggest fish, that's my spot right there. And so that's what we did. I, would, I pulled a drop shot rod, which I literally, I bought a drop shot rod. I rigged a drop shot rod. And I had never fished a drop shot for a bass before. And my son and I have four fish in the box and we might finish mid, uh, you know, middle tier at this point. And I'm like, we need a kicker fish. Let's go to a musky spot. So that's what we did. And I started drop shotting for these fish. And in about 15 minutes, I set the hook on a really big fish. And I thought it was a big pike. I thought it was, you know, a 35 inch pike ish, but sure enough, it's a really big bass. My son netted it and he and I are on the front of the ranger boat as we get the fish in the net and pull it in the boat. And we are like hugging each other, jumping up and down. Like he obviously is a little kid, me being a little kid at heart. Like it was the most, it was one of the coolest father son moments, if not the coolest father son moment that I've ever had with him. And so we put it in the live well and I told him like, even when I was reeling it in, I'm like, Oh, if this is a bass, this is a tournament. Like this is the one right here. And so we motor in and we, we weigh the fish and my next door neighbor, Dan's his name. He gets second place. We get first place. We got uh, biggest bag and we got biggest fish. And so we won the, the biggest prize that night. And the cool part was, is I make my son put in a dollar for every buy. -in. And they're not big buy. -ins. They're like what, 11 bucks a guy or something. So, I make him put in a dollar just so he has some skin in the game. And so he goes up, grabs all the cash and we go home. And so the next day we're talking about it and he looks at me and he's like, you know, I cut him into the whole thing because, you know, he put some skin in the game. So he's sitting there with $82. 
And handing a seven-year-old $82 is like handing a 40-year-old a million. I mean, it's, he was absolutely beside himself. And so we're talking a little bit more and reminiscing, telling mom and um, my other daughter and just kind of talking about the whole thing. And then I finally was like, okay, you know, it's kind of time, Owen. We should probably get our chores done. He kind of like drops his shoulders, whatever. And I said, okay, you got to go. Do, it's your turn to do the dishwasher. And I'm on the dishwasher. And he's like, oh, dad, like rolls his eyes. I'm like, well, okay, you, you need to do that. And maybe today I'll give you a dollar if you go do that. And he looks at me as seriously as he possibly can. He goes, dad, why would I do that for a dollar? I make money bass fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I have, I'm totally convinced that I've completely ruined my son. He's never going to get a real job. He's always just going to want to bass fish constantly or fish for, for a living. Maybe that's good. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, he's, uh, he's quite something. We, we read Bassmaster magazine before we go to bed. Uh, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. This kid is either going to be the greatest fisherman ever, or he's going to be the biggest bum and never get a job. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) It's all good, Matt. That's awesome stuff. You know, funny part yeah. about that story is when Brad told me the story, obviously it's not the same as hearing it direct from the source. I was super convinced that we needed to get you on just to tell that story because I loved the story. Like that's like that's kind of what fishing's about, you know? Like it's it's good I mean, it's good to hear the story about your son. It's good to you know, the father son moment, the story about him thinking he's gonna make money bass fishing. It's uh the whole thing that's that was that was my favorite story that Brad told me when he's like, Hey, we, we're going to have this guy on the podcast. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And he told me the story and I'm like, yep, that seals the deal right there. Yeah. It, it was legitimately, it might be the greatest moment as a father I've ever had. Cause it was just pure joy. He and I are literally jumping up and down on the bow of the boat because we know that we had the tournament sealed up and it was, and I'm not a bass guy, but it was just one of those moments where it's like, that's the fish. That was it. And it was unbelievable. It was so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right, Matt. Well, we just want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule and talk buskies with us. I know I know we wanted to go down the weekend warrior route again, and I think you 100% hit, hit it on the head there, hit it out of the park, whatever analogy you want to use there. And, again, like I said, I'm just you know I'm thankful that you took some time out. It was uh, as good as you know we can expect out of a – out of a weekend warrior and more. I mean, I thought you brought a lot to the table there for even, even your experienced angler should be able to take something out of this podcast. And I think, you know, like I said, thanks for coming out. We really appreciate it. Well, you make a weekend warrior sound like we're a, a different species or, or less than good or something like that. But no, I understand what you're saying. No, I, I, in all seriousness, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to come on and, and hopefully, I've been able to provide some value to the guys that are listening, gals that are listening. And, you know, I, I hope that there's a, an opportunity for everybody to, to take maybe a piece of some of the positives, negatives that I've, I've found musky fishing and apply that for their own, uh, their own body of water and maybe go catch an extra couple of fish this next year. Absolutely. So Matt, I, I totally didn't mean to put us in that same category because I'm in, I'm in that same ballpark. I am 100% a weekend warrior. I'm not to Brad's level. I only hope maybe someday I can be half the angler that he is. So, I'm Oh, a, I thought that was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
come on, you guys. I, you know, the, the crazy part about it is, is ultimately, I think a, a big portion of that is just the, the ability to be on the water every day truly, truly keeps you in the zone, you know, and, and that's what we talked about tonight. We talked about the zone. Where are the fish and what are they doing today? And, you know, the opportunity of a guide when you're on the water every stinking day, guess what? you're on the fish, you're seeing what the fish are doing, but at the end of the day, maybe that whole game plan changes. Maybe it's a huge weather switch or whatever it might be. There's a lot of times we're in that same boat where we're trying to figure it back out too. So I think it goes twofold. So don't, uh, as a weekend person, Hey, the, the battle is real and I don't care who you are there's moments in time when, when you need to go out there and fight for it. And, uh, that's kind of what we hit on tonight. Yeah. I, I'm just giving you guys a hard time, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that there's something we can learn from everybody, whether you're on the water four times a year or you're on the water seven days a week. I think there's opportunities to learn from everybody. Yeah, I would agree. In fact, I mean, if, I think if we go back to episodes one or two, we may have even exactly said that we're willing to talk to just about anybody in the sport about musky fishing because there's something to learn from all of us. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different uh, ways that we've either been successful or not successful. And, you know, you can learn a lot from your failures as much as you can success. So it's uh, it's always good to talk to people of different, I'd say, skill levels or whatever. Like I said, we always like to put them in the weekend warrior. That's like what everybody likes to say is the term. But again, I'm I'm in that same ballpark. I'm 100% there. Like I said, I with I'm a much much like you. I'm fortunately, like I said, I have a very big network, so I can pull from a lot of different areas to try to dial things in. But I have the same struggles that you do. I'm four kids, two businesses, a wife. The kids are some of them are in sports and everything, so it can be difficult. There'll be times where I'll go two three weeks where I won't be on the water, and then I got to try to figure it out, much like everybody else does. So I'm right there yeah. with you, Matt. But again, yeah, I completely agree. Like I said, I want to thank you for coming out. Wish you a happy new year, you and your family. Hopefully, uh, everybody that's listening, 2021 is better than 2020. If your 2020 wasn't so great, I know some people it probably wasn't so bad, you know. So we'll uh, we'll see what next year brings. But again, thanks everybody for listening. We hope everybody has a happy new year. <laughs>